Blog Talk Radio. We are the Bride Radio as the voice of the true Bride of Christ. the bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army in the kingdom we recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and the powers of the air we are a ministry of prayer and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe we provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATV disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are The Bride Ministry, We Are The Bride Radio, or We Are The Bride Television. Thank you. Dr. June Knight. Listen, Bride, it is my honor to host ministers from all over the world. We are honored to hear their life stories because it is for God's glory. What is their journey like? Listen with us today as we give God glory for this person. Amen. Tonight, Dr. June Knight coming to you from your nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Yay! Listen, Bride, I am looking for other radio hosts. Uh, I need hosts that will be able to interview ministers if you're interested. Uh, please go on our website at WATVRadio.com. Look, Bride, we've already interviewed over 400 ministers. Can you believe it? Over 400 in just since 2015. So in four years, this is our four-year anniversary. So the Lord has truly blessed this ministry. We are the bride, so we highlight the bride. So tonight we have the awesome honor to interview Apostle Michael Fram from New Jersey. How you doing, sir? I am well. I am well. How are you? Doing good. You know, I accidentally called you prophet earlier, but I recognize that office of a prophet on you as well. 
Listen, Brad, I'm going to read his bio so you can learn a little bit about him. Michael has been serving, well, here the journey of a minister of almost. Yesterday he did celebrate his 40 years, Brad. He also releases, he will release a prophetic word to the nation tonight. Michael has been serving the Lord in active ministry for 40 years. He grew up in a Christian home, the son of two ministers of the gospel, and came to know the Lord as a child. He was mentored and trained for the ministry in their home as a teenager before getting married at the age of 20 and moving to Tulsa, Oklahoma. To further his ministry training under Reverend Kenneth Hagen at Rama Bible Training Center. After graduating from Rama in 1987, Michael began taking short-term mission trips to the nations. Today, he has ministered in six different nations, some multiple times. Michael also furthered his ministerial training, serving in many aspects of health ministry at Victory Christian Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, under Pastor Billy Joe Daughtery. Since moving back to New Jersey in 1992, Michael has been a staff minister of Living Faith Ministries International, where he has served as an evangelist, revivalist, missionary, Bible school teacher, and trainer. For 10 years, he was actively involved at Oasis Christian Center, formerly Evangelistic Center in Rahway, New Jersey, as an elder and director of adult education under Pastor Fred McCarthy. Wow, sir, you have really uh, done a lot in the kingdom and been a servant. Amen. Oh, yeah, I've worn about every hat you could wear. <laughs> right, so you've been well trained. Well, listen, we want to find out who is the man. So take us back in time with it says that you was raised in Oklahoma. No, I was raised in New Jersey. I just lived in Oklahoma for 10 years. Oh, okay. So was you raised in a big family or small family? I am the uh, number two child out of four. And yeah. uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, my father was a uh, Baptist pastor. I was raised as a uh, Baptist boy, and when I was in the eighth grade, I remember very explicitly sitting on the back row of our little Baptist church in Irvington, New Jersey, with my sister and with the two head deacon's kids, and so the pastor's kids and the head deacon's kids were sitting on the back row, and and, uh, the preacher's kids and the deacon's kids are usually the worst behaved, and uh, we, we were sitting back there passing notes back and forth, but I remember my father preaching a message, and he said that when I read the book of Acts, and I look at us, and I look at the book of Acts, there's something that's missing, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going after it, and I'm going to find it. And that led him on a quest to find what was missing from what we were experiencing. And the oh, following no. year, what? He got filled with the Holy Ghost then. Yeah, he did. He did. He absolutely <laughs> did. When I was a, when I was a freshman in high school, 
my my dad was uh, he he started reading books that Baptists don't read, and started yeah. listening to a Christian radio station that most Baptists didn't listen to, and uh, he was listening to Shambach and Swaggered and Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland and Charles Caps and David Nunn and. Those sort of people all day long, Marilyn Hickey, all those people were around this radio station, and he was listening to it all day long in the car while he was driving and yeah. uh, pastoring this small Baptist church. And he got led out to a church in uh, Massapequa, Long Island, that was pastored by a, a gentleman that had come up under A.A. A. Allen. And uh, my dad got into this church and they had the most unusual decorations on the walls of the church. They had crutches and canes and wheelchairs and all these oh. things hanging on the walls that people didn't need anymore. And yeah. while my folks were there, this, uh, this pastor is walking around the church, and he has a word of knowledge. And he says, there's a Baptist preacher here tonight that's looking for more of God. Stand up, brother. And so my dad stands up and turns to my mom and says, you're his wife. And she says, yes. And stand up here with him. And he lays hands on the two of them. And they get slain in the spirit and get up off the floor talking in tongues. And they come back to their Baptist church. And some of the folks thought Pastor Dunn lost his mind. And so we ended up with a... uh, we ended up with a Baptocostal church while I was in high school, and I, I kind of joke with folks and tell them that I was a Baptocostalmatic because this was the late 70s that this occurred, and that, of course, was the heyday of the charismatic renewal. So I was yeah. a Baptist boy that became Pentecostal in the middle of the charismatic renewal, so I was a Baptocostalmatic. That is funny. So when did you get filled? How old was you? I was 15 years old. I was a freshman in high school, and uh, we were at, we we were at a uh, a gathering that we had at, at the church called the praise gathering. And the purpose of the praise gathering, you know, back in those days, Wednesday night was prayer meeting, and we had Sunday morning, and we had Sunday night. And prayer meeting was always, you know, we made a list. Everybody came in with their prayer requests, and we made a list, and then we kind of just went through and took turns praying for whatever particular need off the list grabbed you. But it was, you know, a lot of gimme, gimme, gimme. And so my dad said, we need to have a time that we just praise God and don't ask him for anything. And so one particular night we had this praise gathering, and there was five people present, my dad, me, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost were present. That was it. And so my dad was already filled with the Spirit, and he's walking around the church, and he has his prayer language, and he's worshiping God and the Spirit. And I'm doing my best to keep up, but after a while, you get tired of hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, thank you. I'm done. I got nothing else, you know. There was nothing else left. And so I just stopped kind of right between the piano and the organ and and just threw my hands up and was doing the hallelujah, thank you, Jesus bit. And the spirit of God fell on me and I fell on the floor. And uh, I got slanted between the piano and the organ, didn't hit either one. And I could hear my dad dancing around the church with his chains jingling in his pockets saying, my boy ain't never going to be the same. And when I came off the floor, I have not been the same ever since. Oh, 
You know what's so beautiful, though, is what a moment. I'm over here crying. Uh, What a moment between you and your father and the Lord. That was pretty intense. It was. It was pretty. Was. I was. I was. I was 15 years old then, and uh, I just turned 57 yesterday. So that's a few days ago. And then it was two years after that, when I was 17, that I began and started to teach and to preach at 17 years of age. And I, I remember going to my dad and saying to him, "Dad, I believe I'm called to preach." And he just looked at me with kind of a real wry grin on his face and said, well, it's about time you figured it out. And I said, you knew? I said, you knew? He said, sure, I knew. I said, how long have you known? He said, since you were five. (laughs) But he, he never told me, never let me know. He just let me, you know, figure it out on my own. And once I figured it out, of course, then, then, you know, we we went into boot camp. We went into training, and and uh, he he really taught me and and trained me how to prepare sermons, how to construct things, and how to put things in organized fashion, and how to use scripture to interpret scripture, and ha- the basics of homiletics and hermeneutics and exegesis and alliteration. And I mean, he taught me all that stuff long before I ever went to Bible school. So I kind of well, went into Bible school with a great foundation. I bet. Is he still living? He is. My my dad will be 81 on April the 2nd, and he's still teaching and still preaching. And my mom just turned 79 on March the 1st, and she's still teaching and still preaching. Neither one of them has retired. They just refired. Wow. Are y'all still in the same church? No, no, because both of us, you know, both my mom and dad and myself, we, we have traveling ministries. We live about 45 minutes to an hour apart from each other. And so we're, we have different places that we call our home base. We both yeah. travel out and, and we minister in churches. We minister in uh, crusades. We do revivals. We do seminars. We do all kinds of things, but then we, uh, you know, we do pulpit fill. We go in as, as you know, visiting ministers or, or guest speakers, whatever term you want to use. But then we have a place that's home. We have a home base that we travel out from when we're not on the road because I don't care who you are or where you get to in ministry, everybody needs their own company. Everybody yeah. needs to have a place that they call home. I mean, yes. even if you go into the book of Acts and you look at Peter and John, you know, they're called on the carpet for teaching and preaching in Jesus' name in, in Acts chapter 4. And, you know, yeah. the, the uh, religious leaders of the day are reading them the riot act because they're filling all of Jerusalem with this teaching in the name of Jesus. And they're yes. told, you know, you can't do this anymore. And they said, well, you know, whether we obey God or men, you guys figure it out. But as for us, we're going to obey God. And they go back. And the, it's interesting King James says that they went back to their own company. In other words, in modern English, they had their own clique. They had their own posse. They had the people that they were in relationship with, and they went back rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. But if, if, you know, the apostles of the Lamb 
needed their own company, if they needed their own clique or their own posse, so do we. And so yeah. even if you're an apostle, you still got to have a home church. You still need to be part of a local assembly. You need to have people that are your spiritual family. You need to have a pastor in your life that loves you. And, yeah. and everybody needs a shepherd. Everybody needs a shepherd that cares for the sheep. And so yeah. they're, they're part of a uh, one local church, and I'm part of another. But, yeah. again, it's because we, we don't live, like, right next to each other. But we do still minister together and do things together. And then, of course, we minister apart and minister, you know, independently of each other as well. Well, Michael, what you're talking about is like having a spiritual father, spiritual parents, because it is nice to have someone that can see from the outside, like you can, uh, you know, talk to them about what you're going through in your little bubble or your sphere, and then they're able to correct you. You know, to me, that's good leadership is being able to sit under someone and desire that they correct you, you know, to keep yourself in right alignment. What do you say about it? Well, you know, it's funny. That was one of the things that I really wanted to talk about tonight because one of the things that I'm really involved in right now is actually um, I'm involved in a couple of different groups that are dealing with spiritual fathers and, and dealing with fathers in the Lord and raising up the next generation. And yeah. from what I'm gathering for most of the people, I, I de- I'm in relationship with a lot of apostles around the country and I'm somewhat of an oddity or an oddball in that my natural father was my spiritual father. Very few was their natural father, their, their spiritual father. I know of a few that are like that, but not many have that privilege to have, their natural father be their spiritual father. And I think that one of the things that the church has really been lacking, even in all my years of being in the church, is there's been a, a, a mindset and an element to leadership in many cases that, you know, well, nobody really helped me, and I got up by the school of hard knocks, and I banged my head against the wall, and you're going to get it the way I got it. And I, I just really think that that's pretty pretty selfish and not really where we need to be as leadership in the body of Christ. And it's really all about raising up the next generation. It's not something that I was really concerned about for quite a few years in ministry, but about five or six years ago I had, I don't know if you would call it an aha moment or if you would call it having an epiphany or what you would call it, but something hit me. And I came to the realization that I needed to begin to do for others what Leo did for me. And I've watched my father and mother be mothers and fathers in the faith to many, not only locally, but across the nation and around the world for years and years and years. Even back when I was a Baptist boy growing up, there are people that are still in ministry today, even in Baptist circles and in the Baptist camp, because my mom and dad poured into them. And so they've done that my whole life. And so I grew up understanding and living sonship before I could even doctrinally explain what sonship was. But it's interesting, you know, go ahead. Michael, I would like to spend a few minutes before you go into your sermon. I would like to pull on your mentorship about ministry for a few. Do you mind? Not whatever you like. Well, I would like for you know, 
the majority of the listening audience is ministers. So I would like for you to talk to ministers. I know a lot of them right now are in transition. Uh, I know many that are watching right now that uh, had churches, and God told them, shut it down. And now they're kind of in a transition waiting on their next assignment, and they're a little nervous about it. I know with you being in ministry 40 years, uh, you've probably experienced that before. Uh, what would you say to them, sir? Well, I've been through several transitions in my life, and and uh, many times it's because my function was changing, and, and God was changing my primary assignment. And uh, there's a few things that I can give out as keys in general. Number yeah. one, when God's going to when God's going to change your assignment, He's going to change your alignment. And you will find that you will go through a divine separation when your assignment is going to change. And the people that you did run with and the people that were your clique and were your posse, all of a sudden you find that you're not so much having a great deal in common with them anymore. And you begin to drift apart. And while that's happening simultaneously, God begins to bring other people into your life that you don't know. And what usually happens is he brings people into your life that are walking in an area that he has for you to go into. And he brings them into your life so that they might be a catalyst to spring you into your next. See, the rules of of leadership are, are really basic in that, you know, when Peter and John came up to the temple in Acts chapter 3, and here's the lame beggar, and he's there, you know, alms, alms, and, and Peter made a very powerful statement. He said, such as I have, give I thee. And the truth of the matter is that if we haven't learned it, we can't teach it. If we mm-hmm. haven't received it, we can't impart it. And if we haven't been there, We can't take anybody else there. And so when God has a next assignment or a next season, you're going to find that you're going to get very stir-crazy where you're at. You're going to get very dissatisfied where you're at. You're going to find that you're not in agreement with the same people where you are, and you're going to be stretched. You're liable to go through a transition like a wilderness-type experience. And that's where a lot of people kind of lose it because when you go into your wilderness experience, it's the preparation for your next. And really, Jesus went through one. Moses went through one. John the Baptist went through one. Apostle Paul went through one. You start looking at a lot of the characters in the Bible. They had a wilderness season. And so if you find yourself where you're in that transition and you feel like everything that could go wrong is going wrong, That means you're actually in the right place because you're in your wilderness season. And it's in that wilderness season that God begins to work on your character. He begins to work on your motives. He begins to work on everything that's in you that is unlike him, that he can root it out of you so that you come out of that wilderness season where, you know, the Bible says that the devil had nothing in Jesus. There was nothing in him that he could grab a foothold on. 
And your wilderness season is designed to make you be a vessel unto honor where the enemy has nothing in you. And so you come through that, and it's not a pleasant experience by any stretch. But as you yield to the process and you come through, you'll begin to align with new people. And the new people that you align with are people that are actually walking in where you're going, and they will help shift you and spring you into where you're going. And, and once you get into that place, then the, the ducks, so to speak, will come into a row and the things will just kind of fall into a line. And the thing you have to remember is yeah. that God leads us a step at a time. He knows the end from the beginning, but he doesn't necessarily tell us the end from the beginning. And you can take Abraham for an example, because God said to Abram, he says, get up and go from a land that you're in now, from Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land that I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going, but he had to get up and go. And as he was going, it came step by step. The children of Israel, they had to follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And everything, you know, it's called a a walk of faith because we don't necessarily know where we're going. We may not even know what the end destination is. And I'll be honest with you, when I was a 17-year-old boy and said, yes, I'll answer the call to preach. I had no clue that I was going to end up where I am now 40 years later. I thought I was going to be a screaming evangelist until Jesus came, and I was content to do that. It wasn't my idea to go through all these other functions, but it was God's idea. And so I didn't foresee where I am now when I said yes. And, and so, you know, you may not know what the, what, you know, three, four steps down the road are. You may know what one step is or two steps are. Well, you just walk those steps out in, in faith and obedience. Or like I preached the other night, you know, there was an old song that we used to sing when I was a Baptist boy. It was called Trust and Obey. You know, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And all you do in your Christian walk, whether you're a leader or you're not a leader, is you trust and obey. And whatever he leads you, wherever he's leading you, whatever steps he's giving you, you just trust and obey. He never asked you to understand it. He never asked you to figure it out. All he asked you to do was trust and obey. In fact, Proverbs is very clear. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him. And so if you're waiting to figure it out or you're waiting for it to make sense, you're going to end up missing God every time because the things of of the spirit, they're not naturally discerned and not naturally understood. They're spiritually appraised and spiritually discerned. And I tell people pretty regularly, if you want to be a success in life, cut your head off. Now, I don't literally mean cut your head off, but what I mean is don't lean on your own understanding. And if you will learn to follow the witness of the Holy Spirit in your spirit and follow that inward witness and follow after peace in your heart, I found that if I go by what's in my spirit and not by what's in my head, I'm always good. But if I go by what makes sense or what I think and I ignore what's in my spirit, it ends up coming out bad. And so my advice would be, if you're in transition, follow after peace, follow what's in your heart, follow what's in, in your spirit, because the spirit of God indwells your spirit. 
and the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit. The Spirit of God does not bear witness with your mind. He does not bear witness with your head. He bears witness with your heart. Follow your heart. Out of your heart are the, are the issues of life. And so that's where you're going to focus and, and just follow that leading that's inside of you and, and let the Spirit of God lead you and just follow after him. And don't worry about whether or not it makes sense. I happened to read somewhere, and it might just be me, I don't know, but I read someplace that said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It did not say, for by grace you have been saved through sense. And so if you started your walk with Christ by faith, don't expect it to make sense now because it ain't going to. The virgin birth don't make sense, but we believe it. The fact that Jesus would leave the excellent glory and empty himself of all of his divine attributes and suffer and die for us really doesn't make sense, but we believe it by faith. And so don't look for the steps of God to make sense to you. If you're looking for them to make sense, you'll end up missing God. So just follow your heart, follow what's in your, in your spirit, follow after that inward peace, and that peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart, and you'll be fine. Just follow after that, and it'll take you right into your destiny. Wow, I am telling you, you, that was right on it. Definitely embrace the process. Okay, Bride, we're going to take a quick little commercial break. And when we come back, we are going to hear from the Apostle himself. One moment. Good evening, Bride. This is your host tonight, the president of We Are The Bride Ministries. I just want to take this time to thank you for listening to We Are The Bride Radio, WATV Radio, and for watching us on WATV.TV. Listen, Bride, this month is our four-year anniversary officially on the radio. We would like to thank all of our listeners across the world It is a shocking fact that half of our listeners are in the United States and the other half is abroad. Thank you. All right, Brad, we are back tonight with Apostle Michael Fram. Okay, sir, listen, you have the floor and I'm going to put it on mute because I'm going to take a lot of notes. I'm excited about what you're about to release, so... Go ahead, sir. You got the floor. Well, what I started to say before you asked me to uh, to kind of speak to people in transition was that I, I ended up going through something that I called having an aha moment. Or, you know, if anybody's ever watched cartoons before as a kid and you're watching the cartoons and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on over over their head, that's kind of what happened to me. And I had that aha moment. I had that moment when the light bulb went on. And I realized that, you know, I, I really needed to do for other people what, what my father had done for me. And, you know, there was a, a very popular movie several years ago. It's called Pay It Forward. And, and I came to the place that I realized that I needed to pay it forward. And as I began to look at Scripture and, and study it, I began to realize that God is a multi-generational God. And he, he, there's a, a generational succession in the way that God does things. If you look at the Old Testament, he's, it says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so you have Abraham, the father. You have Isaac, 
who is the son, but then Isaac, the middle generation, also becomes a father, even though he's operating as a son to Abraham, but now he's becoming a father to Jacob. And so you see that it's, it's three levels or three generations. You come over into the New Testament and you have the Apostle Paul who calls Timothy his son, his faithful son, that nobody else has a heart like Paul has except for Timothy. I don't have anybody else that I can trust but Timothy because he will tell you what I would tell you even if I'm not there because he's got my heart. There's been a, a spiritual DNA transfer from Paul to Timothy. And he calls Timothy his faithful son. And then he gives Timothy instructions. And he says, Timothy, commit these things to faithful men. So you have Paul to Timothy and from Timothy to faithful men. There's that three generations again. And then you see where he says, who may be able to teach others also. So from Timothy to faithful men to teaching others, now you're going four generations. So God is always multi-generational. And what he's looking for is that the fathers would be raising up the sons, but that the sons would in turn, while they're still operating as sons, would get to the place that they also become fathers that can then pour into sons. And that's why you see all through scriptures where it says, you know, as you're walking on the way, talk about these things on the way and and share them with your children and keep them in front of your children. And I believe what we're living in right now is an actually a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 says that, you know, before the great and terrible day of the Lord will come, that God would send Elijah the prophet first, and then after Elijah the prophet, that the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the sons. Now, if you've studied the restoration moves of God that have happened through church history, and I don't have time to go into it in great detail tonight, but if you look at the restoration moves of God through church history, you'll realize that from really Constantine on, we were pretty much a one-fold ministry, or we had one ministry gift that was operating within the church, even though Ephesians 4 says apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and there's five, we really ended up with a pastor-only and the other four were kind of done away with. But then we had several works of restoration beginning in the late 40s to early 50s with the Voice of Healing Revival, and God restored the evangelists, and then we went into the 70s, and we had the Word of Faith movement, and God restored the teacher, and then we went into the 80s and early 90s, and we had the prophetic move, and we saw the restoration of prophets, and then we went into the late 90s to the early and mid-2000s, and we saw the restoration of apostles. And so if you look at the restorative moves, you'll notice that the prophetic was restored before the apostolic was restored. And if you overlay that over Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4 says that Elijah must come first, meaning the prophetic. So there's got to be a prophetic restoration first, which we had in the 80s into the early 90s, We had that prophetic restoration, that Elijah mantle, that Elijah prophetic anointing was restored to the church. And then that set us up for the apostolic to come. And the apostolic is that fathering anointing. That's that fathering of pouring into and raising the next generation. And so you'll notice there in Malachi 4, it says that the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons, and then the sons 
would be turned to the fathers. And it's interesting that the way the prophet puts it is that the hearts of the fathers have to be turned to the sons first. It doesn't say the hearts of the sons will be turned to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. It says the hearts of the fathers are turned to the sons, and then in a reciprocal fashion, the hearts of the sons would then be turned back to the fathers. And so what we're dealing with, because we've had the prophetic restoration, it set us up for the apostolic fathering restoration, and we are now living in that restoration of hearts of fathers being turned to sons. And I have noticed many times through the years of even, you know, the 40 years that I've been in ministry, that people being concerned about the next generation really was not very popular. And it's only over, I would say, maybe the last 10 years or so that we're really seeing a major emphasis on spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and about pouring into and raising up the next generation. And so we're, we're seeing a new breed of father, a new breed of mother, a new breed of leader that is coming on the scene right now that their heart is turned towards the inheritors or turned towards the, the sons and the daughters where the fathers and the mothers now have the attitude that my ceiling is your floor and I'm going to pour everything that I have inside of me into you so that you gain the benefit of my experience. Even as a natural earthly mother or father wants more for their children than they themselves have. They want their children to do more than them, be better than them. Well, spiritual mothers and fathers want the same thing. And it comes to the place that everything that I have learned, we want to pour into you so that you get the benefit of our experience. Where we have banged our head against the wall and can tell you some things that don't work, you can benefit from our experience, and you don't have the same mistakes that we've made. You know, the School of Hard Knocks is a very good teacher, but it's not the smartest teacher. Wisdom says learn from somebody else's experience and avoid banging your head against the wall. But we haven't had mothers and fathers that have had that heart's attitude because their heart hasn't been turned towards the next generation. But now we're dealing with a, a, a whole new breed of, of spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers that have that heart that want to pour into the next generation. And so I'm finding myself now where I'm like the Isaac. I'm that middle generation. I'm, I'm the Timothy. I'm the middle generation. My father, Leo Fram, is still my father. He's Abraham. He's Paul. I'm Isaac. I'm Timothy. But Isaac still has Jacob behind him that he's got to become a father to. Timothy still has the committing to faithful men that are behind him. You look at Titus, who Paul also called the son, and he was told to ordain elders and, and overseers in every city, part of that apostolic function, part of raising up the next. And so we're seeing this dynamic that is unfolding within the church right now where you're seeing people really getting a fathering heart and really looking to raise up the next generation. Unfortunately, we have lived what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said, you've had thousands, or you've, depending on the translation, you've had a thousand, or you've had many instructors or many teachers. And, and what that, that 
actually says in the Greek is you've had many boy teachers, but you haven't had many fathers. And we've had a lot of teachers in the church, but you've had teachers that have been teaching a lot of theory, but you haven't had teachers that have been pouring their DNA into people so that you carry the, the DNA of the father. You know, when Jesus came, Jesus said, I don't come doing my own thing. I came to do the will of my father. Whatever I see my father do, that's what I do. Whatever I hear my father say, that's what I say. Jesus said, my message is not my own. It's the message of him that sent me. And so Jesus came with the message of the father. He came with the methods of the father. He came with the mantle of the father. He came with the mission of the father. He didn't come with his own message, his own mantle, his own, you know, no, it was all that was the father's. And so he had the DNA because the spirit of God was his father. He had the DNA of the father. And so we're now seeing what's happening in the church as opposed to just having teachers that will educate us. We're having leaders, we're having fathers and mothers that are making an impartation where they're duplicating themselves and they're pouring their DNA into those that are up and coming. And, and I'll be absolutely 100% honest, I have the DNA of Leo Fram, not just physically, but spiritually, because of what he poured into me. I have the, the privilege to sit at the feet of Kenneth Hagin for two years at Rama, and I have a lot of Kenneth Hagin's spiritual DNA inside of me. And so you can have fathers that father at, at that level, like a national level, like a Kenneth Hagin, like a Benny Hinn, like an Oral Roberts, like a, a Dutch Each or a Chuck Pierce or a Morris Cirillo. They, they, they are moving at a, a larger level and maybe through their books or their tapes or their CDs or their podcasts or their broadcasts, they may father you or mentor you at that level, but then God will bring people into your life to mentor you and father you in a personal way, the same as Leo did for me. And so right now, one of my major assignments, I have two major assignments right now, but one of them is in mentorship and fathering, where I am pouring into the next generation. I have people locally that are within my region that they come to me for counsel and I'm a sounding board, and they run things by me, and I pour into them, and I answer their questions. I'm even doing private mentoring through, through webinars, through the Zoom platform, and I bring small groups of people in and just pour into them for like three hours so that I can answer their questions and, and deal with them right where the rubber meets the road. And so we're living in a very exciting time in church history where we're seeing fathers and mothers rise up that really have a father's heart, that really care about the next generation. And, and so we're seeing that, and I'm seeing the importance of not only having it where Leo did it for me, now I have to do it for others, but to take those others that I'm now pouring into as they mature and develop they not only grow in sonship, but they grow into being fathers because that's the way that God has set it up. It's always multi-generational. It's always Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's always Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. 
And, and so the, a lot of the emphasis of what we're seeing today is changing. And I just want to address really quickly that many times people are looking with false expectations when it comes to sonship and when it comes to uh, spiritual fathers. And there's two things that, that cause people to have some of these false expectations. And one is that we don't recognize that there's levels of spiritual fathers. Leo Fram mentored me and fathered me in a particular very intimate hands-on way, sitting me down in the living room of the house that I grew up in and said, Mike, this is how you're going to put your thoughts together. This is the way you're going to, you know, line up your points. And this is how you're going to make your sub points. And this is how you're going to use correlating scripture and corroborating evidence and make sure you keep it simple so that people can understand it. Don't talk over their heads, break it down and make it plain and all those things. And when I would make sermon outlines and I would go and preach, he would sit me down and say, okay, this was good. This was good. This you didn't do so good. It would be better if you did that like this and and do this. It was a very hands-on pouring into that my dad did with me. But yet Kenneth Hagin also fathered me because I sat at his feet. Now, now Kenneth Hagin, I think in the 10 years that I live in Tulsa, I think I may have shook his hands twice and, and said hello to him maybe twice. But he still had a major impact in my life, and I carry a, a good chunk of, of his DNA and mantle. And many times in my teaching and my preaching and in my ministry, so many Kenneth Haganisms come out because of what he poured into me, just as much as Leoisms come out of me because of what my natural father poured into me. And so because there's different levels of fathering, sometimes people are looking for the national father or the Kenneth Hagen, Benny Hinn, Oral Roberts, Morris Cirillo, you know, that level of father. They're expecting them to act like Leo Fram did to me. Well, that national father doesn't have the time to take time with you on an intimate basis. And so don't expect your national father to treat you the same way as your intimate personal father will. The second thing that that happens is many times we overlook the father or the mother that's right in front of us because we're looking for the national father. We're looking for the father that has the huge platform that we feel that they can help bolster my ministry, that they can push me forward, they can endorse me, and I can have it made in the shade because I'll get the endorsement of so-and-so. And And while you're chasing that national father to be your father, you're actually overlooking the person that's right under your nose that God has set there that has the ability to meet with you, to talk with you, that you'll get their cell phone number and you'll be able to call them and text them and reach out to them on a personal level. So recognize and understand that there's more than one level and more than one type of a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. And don't overlook the ones that God has put right in your path because there are going to be fathers and mothers that are right in front of you that are going to be able to pour into you and bless you and mentor you and answer your questions And they will give you their cell phone number, and you will be able to text with them and call them and talk to them. I have those that I I talk to regularly. I was on three calls last night with with people, 
And, you know, some of them, they say, hey, when can we talk? And I know with certain ones, it's a half hour. With others, it's an hour. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But that's part of being a father. And so we're seeing that. It's an exciting time. And, and I'm now duplicating what I saw my father do. And, and so we're seeing that all over the body of Christ. I'm actually part of the leadership in a group on Facebook that's called Apostolic Teaching Fathers. And it's all about that whole concept of fathers raising up sons and daughters and duplicating themselves. If, if, I'll put it to you this way, and I'm going to close with this because I know you said go about 20 minutes, that any success without a successor is a failure. Any success without a successor is a failure. If you're not duplicating yourself, if, if a number one doesn't have a number two, if somebody can't step in and function like you function and operate with the same anointing, with the same heart, with the same motives, with the same mission and the same mantle that you have, then you haven't done your job as a leader. Your job is to duplicate yourself and actually be able to work yourself out of a job so that somebody else can step in and do exactly what you do because they've got your heart, which is what Paul said about Timothy. Nobody has my heart like Timothy does. And even though I'm not there, I know Timothy would tell you what I will tell you because he's got my heart. And so if whether you are a father or whether you are a son, you need to be involved in the sonship program. And when I say father and son, I'm not, just, I'm not speaking by gender. I'm not saying that it's only men. I'm, you, it can be men or women. I, I believe that men and women can both father. I, and, and Paul talked about times that he was mothering. And so I'm not speaking in a, in a gender sense or in a sexist sense, but men and women are both involved in fathering and men and women are, are involved in sonship. You know, the Bible says that as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right, the authority to be called the sons of God. Well, that applies to men and women both. We're all sons of God. And so we're all raised up as, as sons. And so whether you're the father or the son or you're the middle generation, you may be an Isaac, you may be a Timothy, you may be still operating in sonship where you're still having that father speak into your life. But now it's time to begin to pay it forward and turn around and pour into others what's been poured into you. Freely you have received, freely give. And give of yourself and make others be able to do what you are doing. And you do that, you'll be about what God's program is. I could talk about this from now till Jesus comes. And I'll leave you with one final thought. I'll say it in two minutes before I, I turn it back over to Dr. June. Is that... You know, Elijah lived in a day where there were schools of the prophets, but Elijah was not involved in raising up the next generation. And Elijah had his great victory with the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel says, I'm going to have your head, and Elijah runs, and he goes and has a pity party, and then God speaks to him and gives him a checkup from the neck up and says to him, that uh, I've got 7,000 that still haven't bowed to Baal yet, and many times we have Elijah syndrome, and we think I'm the only one that's like this, I'm the only one that sees this, I'm the only one that's just kind of crazy, and God's got a whole bunch of folks out there that are the same kind of crazy as you are, you just don't know that they exist, 
and you need to let God align you with those that are the same kind of crazy as you, and he'll do it. But God gives Elijah instructions, go anoint this one to be king, and then go find Elisha and anoint him to be prophet in your stead or in your place or in your room. See, at that time, Elijah was not involved in raising up the next generation. And so God had to give Elijah a course correction and get him involved in raising up his successor. And he goes and he finds Elisha. He throws his mantle on him. And the Bible says that Elisha served Elijah. He went through an apprenticeship operating and functioning with the man of God until you come down to the end of their experience together when the chariot comes out of heaven. And all of a sudden, Elisha looks up and he says, my father, my father. Somewhere in that process of that apprenticeship, and most Bible scholars believe it was about an eight-year period that Elisha walked with Elijah. During those eight years, Elisha went from servant to son. And he said, my father, my father. There's, there's, a, there's a thing of sonship, and many haven't caught it yet. Many are catching it. And God gave Elijah a course correction so that he would get involved in it. And it's a major thrill involved if you're a leader and you're not pouring into sons, pour into them. And if you don't have a father, start asking God, who's my daddy? And let God show you and bring that father into your life. He will bring them across your path to help develop you and pour into you and answer your questions so that you don't bang your head against the wall. Dr. June, I'm going to turn it back to you to close out however you see fit. Well, I'll tell you what, sir, have I taken notes. Uh, this was very, very powerful because you don't know this, but today up here in D.C., I was at the Family Research Council uh, which is a very strategic organization having to do with the political realm and what happens across the nation. We were having this very conversation about needing fathers with sons. Isn't this amazing? Uh, how the church, we're talking about the church as a whole, uh, needs to uh, mentor and we need to raise up the next generation because the younger generation, like the millennials, they are being hit and slaughtered in schools, uh, you know, taught socialism and, and entitlement and all this other uh, things that go against Christianity. And so we need the ones that are seasoned to pour into them and teach them, no, this is the correct way, this is the way God sees it, and so that, because they're the leaders of tomorrow, see, so I receive your word today, sir. And listen, Brad, uh, I did take notes and put it up on Facebook of what he said tonight. So listen, uh, I want us to take a minute and pray for him because uh, whenever I have a minister on the broadcast, we all come together in agreement across the world because there is no distance in the Take a moment to pray for Mr. Fram. Because God has a purpose for him, God has a destiny for him, and we're going to partner with heaven that he will be successful, okay? Lord, the bride comes together tonight, and first of all, Lord, we thank you for his genealogy. We thank you, Lord, for him having the experience of having a good godly father. 
having the experience of having a minister to be able to personally train him, Lord, uh, is a gift beyond measure. And Lord, like he said, uh, not many people today in ministry have that luxury, and he has truly had that luxury to have his father uh, pour into him, Lord. Lord, so we pray that as he releases the seeds out of his life into the other people that he is supposed to bless by paying it forward, Lord, that they would feel that same um, fatherly connection as he felt with his father, that it would be a loving uh, transfer of wealth, basically. And, Lord, we pray that you expand Michael's borders, Lord. I pray, Lord, actually, that you give him creative ways of mentoring, uh, a website, blogs, uh, videos, conferences, uh, because this has been one of the greatest gifts that you have given him while he's been on this planet is mentorship, and that is something in our country uh, that is so needed right now, Lord. And this is so prophetic, him preaching this today, at the same time that our national leaders are sitting around talking about the very same thing. This tonight's call is a clarion call to the bride that it is time to train and to teach and to prepare and to equip the next generation, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that all that he is asking you for in his ministry, taking territory in the spirit, Lord, that you granted unto him, because we all know that our battle is not with flesh and blood, it's with the principalities and the powers. And, Lord, you have strategically placed him where you have placed him. So we're asking you, Lord, to give him authority in a greater measure in his region to accomplish the things that you want done in the kingdom. Because, Lord, we know this is a kingdom battle. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would bless him in every way, heal his body, heal his wife, heal his family, him in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, sir, would you please pray for our ministry and then uh, pray for the bride, please? Absolutely. Father, I thank you for this voice that you have raised up in media to speak not only to the nation, but to also speak to the world. I thank you for this voice that you have raised up, and I believe, sir, that you are using it to alter and change destiny of people that listen and are ministered to through this voice that you have raised up. Father, I ask that you would continue to bless and to prosper this ministry, that you would cause every need that they have to be met. Father, I ask that you would increase their sphere of influence, that you would increase their voice, that they would reach more people through this platform, that they might impact and help train and, and raise up a generation of leaders. Father, I pray for all those that have partnered with them, that they would also be blessed because of that partnership. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that has listened tonight. Father, I ask 
that you would take the seed that's been sown and water it by your spirit, that it would take deep root inside of them in Jesus' name, and that it would spring forth and produce harvest within their lives. And we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sir, tell them how uh, they can find out more about you. Uh, Well, I'm all over Facebook. I'm really easy to find there. But uh, I I do have a website. My website is www.prophetic, which is P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C, Destiny, D-E-S-T-I-N-Y, Ministries, which is M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S, L, which is an abbreviation for international. So all one word, prophetic destiny ministries, I-N-T-L dot O-R-G. And that is my website. And I've got blogs up there. I've got podcasts up there. I've got prophetic words up there. Uh, we've got videos that are on YouTube that are up there. We've got Facebook live videos that are up there. And so that you can connect with me right through that website. My full bio is there. There's pictures up there. And pretty much everything you want to know about me or what I'm doing, I, I post my schedule and where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing. And all that stuff is on that website. Okay, one other quick question. Uh, within a couple of minutes, if you could talk to America and warn her, or give her a word of encouragement about days to come, what would you say, sir? I would say that we have never needed to heed Paul's instruction to Timothy more than we do right now. Paul's instruction to Timothy was, first of all, that we pray for kings and for all those that are in authority over us, that it may be well with us that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life. And I would say to the church in America that we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our leaders. The Bible is very clear that righteousness exalts a nation. And we need to pray for righteousness to be made manifest in our government, in our Supreme Court, in all of our local courts. We need righteous judgment. We need godly judgment. And so definitely take Paul's instruction to Timothy and pray for the nation. Pray for the whether you voted for him or not, whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not, we need to pray for him. And uh, I haven't agreed with every president that we have had, but I've prayed for every one of them. And so we need to all do that. We need to pray for every leader, every congressman, every senator, every Supreme Court justice, we need to pray for them, that they be surrounded by godly counsel. Please pray in the Holy Ghost, because when you don't know what you pray for as you ought, the Spirit himself will make intercession, and he always prays according to the will of the Father. And so if nothing else, pray in the Holy Ghost, but pray for the nation, because the nation needs it. We hang in the balance right now, and we need the body of Christ to rise up and pray and to vote. Always Vote and vote your conscience and vote Bible. And if you'll do that, we'll be all right. 
Yes, now tomorrow I'm going on Capitol Hill. They have got a vote tomorrow that is so critical uh, to the equality bill. And this is the most perverted bill, I believe, to ever hit Congress. This is, it's terrible on every level. So we need the church definitely to be uh, praying and to be on guard, you know. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your encouragement, sir. And we were so happy for you uh, to encourage us to uh, be spiritual mothers and fathers and to find uh, spiritual mothers and fathers. It is so true. And you have a blessed evening, sir. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Dr. June. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Blessings to you as well. All right. Bye-bye.